And don't consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And it says in the word of God, now it springs forth. So Lord, I receive that for this church in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for every person who's here today. I thank you that the words I speak will touch their hearts. That it's not my words, Lord, but yours. I don't want to get up here, Lord, and, and just do my thing. I want you to speak through me. And I thank you for it, Father. Bless your people today in Jesus' name. Find two or three people. Tell them, I'm going to be changed by the word of God today. Woo, glory to God. Just feel that power of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, you know, tonight we have our Christmas Eve service. That's why I'm not dressed in red. I'm dressed to honor the colors of the straw of the manger. <laughs> you know, we love to use that term manger, that Jesus was laid in a manger, but it's a feeding trough. He was laid in a feeding trough. As my brother Chuck pointed, uh, Chuck pointed out to me the other day, he was laying in a manger, a feeding trough, with the very animals that were sacrificed to God, that their blood was poured out. And here is Jesus, a child, innocent, coming in a human form, coming down from his throne. He is the I am, and he comes and he humbles himself to die for you. And I can tell you without a shout of doubt, every one of you will stand before him someday. And I hope you can stand before him and say, Savior, thank you for dying for me. Without that understanding that you cannot go to heaven on your own merit, but by what Jesus Christ has done, that is what saves you. That's what gives us hope on this earth. We've been celebrating the Advent attributes of Christmas. This year we didn't light the candle, thought we'd just change it up a little bit. Tonight we're going to have a beautiful candle lighting ceremony. We'll be having communion as we do today. If you can make it back out, that's great. Uh, you'll be absolutely blessed. Four attributes of Christmas. Now, according to the Advent candle, we have four that we celebrate. The first one we talked about is a quick review to help you understand how important these attributes are is the thing called hope. Everybody say hope. The Greek word hope is a word elpis. It means to anticipate with pleasure. To me, hope is a driving force of faith. Great woman of God, you would know her name if I said it, said to me one day, Jim, you must always have faith in that hope box of yours. You must always have faith out there. And you cannot have faith without hope. How can you have faith without hope? How can you have faith without the pleasure of anticipation? And that's what that Greek word means, to anticipate with pleasure. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says that if we come to God, that, that Hebrews 11.6 says if we come to God, we must believe that he is, and that he is a what? A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what drove the wise men to travel two years to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords was that word hope. The wise men anticipated with pleasure they would come to see the Savior of mankind. They followed that star of hope. I thought about that. You know, when you look up at the stars, there's some point on the earth when you travel that you'll be directly under that star. And that a star appeared two years prior 
uh, two years when Jesus was born, and they traveled that time because hope drove them forward. And then the second word we looked at that all Christians should have is the word joy. It comes from several sources in the word of God that would cause us to believe in God and his word. Things like anticipation, a sense of security, a sense of safety, and knowing that God will be your source of provision in this life. Joy comes from the promises in God's word that give me a feeling of self-worth. If there's anything this new generation, and maybe some of you guys are seeking for, is validation. Why am I here? It's funny when I hear young people say, I have a thousand friends on Facebook. What are they looking for? Validation. They could tell you they love you online and get offline and say, what a jerk. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've been validated by my God. When he came to this earth and bled to death on the cross, he was validating my existence. He gave me a sense of prominence. I'm called his child. And he answers the question, why am I here? He created you distinctly. You all have distinct DNAs. You have distinct fingerprints. There's nobody on this earth like you. Neither will there be anybody on earth like you. And we look at each other, we need to understand that there's nobody on earth like you. And there's something that God has placed in you that I need to fulfill me. We're family. We're family. And that's why God calls us together in church. I, who never went to church and thought I could worship God out in the woods, how selfish. How selfish to me to not understand that it's God who gave me my pastor. It's God who sets you, not in a church, under a shepherdship. And listen to what the Word of God says and obey what the Word of God says. What a pleasure, what a, what a joy I found out who I was through Jesus Christ. Joy not only comes from the promise of God's Word that gives me self-worth and validation and a position of prominence, but also I, joy comes from confidence. Let me read to you some things in the Word of God that have power more than my own words. 1 John 5.14 says this, and this is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when you read the word of God, when you come to church and you hear what God's will is, and you pray God's will for your life, he'll give it to you. I can have that confidence. I may not get it today, but I will get it in Jesus' name. 1 John 2.28 also tells me this. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I hope you're not ashamed when Jesus comes and he appears. He's coming back. We're at the beginning of the last days. I don't think we're there yet, but we're at the beginning of the last days. I see things taking place that Jesus talked about, wars, rumors of wars, the love of many wax cold. That means people who once were on fire for God, who be faithful, Lord. They're not there anymore. Something's going on. But Jesus told us that would happen. Joy that comes from the understanding, and this is what upsets people, that I can have success in life. And success is not always measured by cars or houses or boats or a lot of money. You can have those, and praise God if you do. I hope you learn to tithe. God gave you that for a reason. 
but prosperity. It's interesting that the word peace in the word of God, which we'll talk about in one minute, is actually defined as the word prosperity. Psalm chapter 1 promises you success in life, but it has conditions. Blessed is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor is seated in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it does he meditate day and night, during the good times and the bad times. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And he shall bear fruit in his season. And all that he sets his hand to do will prosper. I don't know about you, I want to prosper in this life. I want to show people that my God is good. I want to show people that God's not a wacko, that God is not someone who gives and takes away, that God is a blesser. Say that, God's a blesser. Joy comes from trusting in something bigger and better than yourself, knowing that God has my back. It's hard to believe, but I was even shorter in high school. And I wasn't really good at sports, but I could run fast. So I made it to the track team. But I used to have some of these big guys. You know, big guys like to pick on little guys. I don't know why. But I thank God that God gave me big friends. And I thank God that God has given me a big friend. His name is Jesus, the Holy Spirit that backs me. I remember when I was the administrator of a Christian school back at the church I was at. Not only administrated the church, but the school. And I had to sit down these bullies who were picking on this little kid. And I told them about David. And I told them about uh, Samson, how when the Spirit of God came upon Samson, that he was able to kill a thousand Philistines. By the power of God, I said, you guys should be shaking in your boots because if the power of God comes on this little squirt, he's going to kick your butt. (laughs) They didn't bother him anymore. (laughs) Joy also comes from fulfillment. Listen to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. It says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. A prayer that I pray a lot, especially when I go through tough times, is, Lord, perfect that which concerns me. Forsake not the work of thy hands. Say this, I'm a work in progress. Don't beat yourself up. Remember that God is working on you. You're getting there. And then last week, we looked at the third attribute that every believer should possess, and that's that word, peace. And we saw that the man, that the, that man defines peace as the absence of conflict which we know doesn't exist in this life. However, Jesus promises you peace in conflict. And I love this definition of peace. It's incredible. To become at one again. You ever hear that term? I need to find myself. Well, where did you go? I'll tell you what you're looking for. You were created by God for a specific purpose. And people will spend millions of dollars hours and hours of their time trying to find out who they are when all they need to do is ask, Father, what have you created me to be? What have you created me to do? To be at peace with God, number one. I believe it's Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing I can do can bring me peace with my creator more than accepting Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as my Lord and Savior. When you accept him, 
then you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Not by what you do. I mean, I can do anything I want. No. When you understand who you are in Jesus Christ, you'll do instinctively what is right. And you'll know when you do wrong. Right? Don't we find out we know we do wrong when we, we love God and we do something stupid? The Holy Spirit convicts us of what we're doing it wrong. To be at peace with God. I'm at peace with God. And number two, I need to be at peace with oneself. James chapter 1 and verse 8 tells me that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I could say to you as Christians, make up your mind. Who do you serve? Do you serve God or do you serve you? Do you serve God? You, serve, you, you, you just serve thoughts in your head? Or do you serve what the Word of God says? And how can you know what the Word of God says if you don't read it? If you don't go to church? If you don't see that God loves you? And that He has gave, given you so many tremendous promises. And He wants to grant you peace. And I love this scripture in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Anybody in this room ever have problems? If you didn't raise your hand, you got one. How many in this room have ever had problems? Well, God gives you a remedy for problems. He says this in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be careful for nothing. Now, that's a tough one. But you can't be careful. You won't worry about things if you don't do that. You'll, you'll stop worrying about things if you do what the following thing is. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your heart and mind. It puts a garrison, a guard around your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Do I ever get upset? Yeah. Do I get worried? Yeah. And it's a battle. But I'm realizing that if I would turn these things over to God, you know, I'm, I'm coming to realize something, that we only have so many minutes on this earth. We only, only have so many breaths to take. Nobody knows when they're going to leave. And don't be afraid of death. It's you just passing out of this body, and then you stand before God. Hallelujah. And someday your body will be resurrected. And like I said, I'm going to be six foot four. I'm going to be buff. And you won't even recognize me. Be careful for nothing to turn it over to God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. How many believe in the word of God? Then you should believe what this word says. God says this in his word. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, My son, forget not my law. Every time you see that word law, it's the word of God. My son, forget not my word, not the law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Not your brain, your heart. You put that word down in your heart. Listen to this promise. For length of days, long life, and peace shall they add unto thee. I like that word, length of days. How many can honestly say, like we've all been saying, wow, did this season go by fast? We're living in a day and age, I think God's turning up the clock. I want to bring my kids home. So it's turning up. Things are going quicker. And of course, our technology, we never have time to rest. Always answering the phone, going on the computer, whatever. And time is speeding up. But this Bible says that if I make the word of God first and foremost in my life, I'll have length of days. You know what length of days means? Every day is power packed. Every day has meaning. I heard something funny the other day, it wasn't funny, but it was funny. This person, this person would wake up every day and said, I'm not dead. What a way to wake up. But we need to understand that God promises long life, length of days, and peace. Now, long, you know, I lost a son early in his life, and 
what's that long life? I begin to realize that what God considers our lo- when we complete our task or whatever, that's when we go home. And I have to accept that. So today let's get into the final attribute or characteristic of the Christian season that should be experienced by all of us, and yet it's the most understood attribute that we cannot comprehend as humans. And it's the attribute of love. Everybody say love. Why is Christmas the second most important expression of love, Easter being the first? You know, early Christians didn't celebrate the birth of Christ. Easter was the day. And then to get rid of some pagan holidays, they made it a Christian holiday. Praise God for that. I don't worship trees. I don't worship tinsel. Uh, I still recognize the birth of Jesus Christ. He didn't come, we'd be in trouble. Amen? John 3.16 is the expression of God's love. And I love this. For God so loved the world. That's everybody. The Hitlers, Mussolini's, Saddam Hussein's, rapists, murderers. God loved them all. He knew what you were going to be, what you were going to do. He knew it was going to be bad or good. It didn't make any difference. Jesus took upon himself the punishment that was reserved for the, all of us. I, I can't comprehend that kind of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, and that believe is not a mental ascent, it means you down deep inside live, breathe, and eat Jesus Christ. I remember the day when I never said praise God. You know, when you get around people that know God, don't know God, and, and let, let's say you're in the checkout line and uh, you get a dollar off your package of hot dogs, and you say, praise God. What's the big deal? And everybody looks at you like, what? Because you live, eat, and breathe Jesus, you don't even realize it. Praise God. God so loved the world. We need to understand that, that God so loved the world. Love is, again, the most misunderstood attribute. Jesus, get this now, this has become such a reality to me just this week, that Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. You ever see a little lamb, pure and sweet? They're so cute. And you think, oh, Jesus, so pure and cute. That's not what that means. Yeah, he was the Lamb of God. But what's the significance of the statement that Jesus is called the Lamb of God? Well, we need to go back to an institution that was formated, formated by God, formated by God, called the Passover. Let me read it to you a little bit so you understand what Jesus, why Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. I'm reading out of Exodus chapter 12, first of all, verse 3. Speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Skip down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. I'm going to teach on the significance of these one day. And the, whole, uh, and the whole assembly of congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two doorposts, on the upper post, the side post, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh. Remember Jesus said, to eat my flesh and drink my blood? This is where this is all coming from. Well, that sounds gross. No, there's, there's a significance to that statement. 
They shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat it not raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head, his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain till the morning, and that which remains in the morning shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins gird, your shoes, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. Man, this stuff has such meaning. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you eating his flesh, drinking his blood, which refers to his word? Are you receiving him as a Lamb of God? Are you ready to go home? That's a question. Are you ready? Because that's what this is saying. For I will pass through the land this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. And I'll execute judgment. I am the Lord. You know, when, when you, this hit me, I hope I'm interpreting this right, is that <clears throat> it's like when I see the movies, God's up there and he sends a death angel, the bad death angel. But this says, for I will pass through the night. Listen, God has a rat side, guys. God has, he, we're in the age of grace, praise God, but there is coming a day when we're, we're going to see a side of God that, whoa, and those who hate him and, and dismiss him and ridicule his son, they're going to shudder in fear. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, hallelujah, I will pass over you. And a plague shall not come upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day shall be unto you a memorial. There, the Jews will keep this. But this is so type and shadow of Jesus Christ, who's called the Lamb of God. Now I get it. The Lamb of God. How much does God love you and love me? Jesus was the Lamb of God. He took his son, perfect, pure, unblemished, holy, and with Jesus' cooperation, offered him as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world on my behalf. His blood is smeared on the doorposts of my life. His blood is smeared on you. And how dare the enemy cross that threshold of the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't hear it too much anymore, but I hear a lot of the old-timers say, I plead the blood. Maybe the devil, who maybe you don't believe in, and Jesus does, needs to understand that you understand what that blood means. I have a bloodline. You cannot cross it in Jesus' name. And the children of God start getting bold and understand who they are in Jesus Christ and stand up on the authority that God's given him. You're going to see some things happening. God asks us to do nothing that he hasn't done himself first. How do you measure a love that allows us to get away with what we get away with? And yet that God who loves us forgives us when we repent. When people do things to hurt me, and it happens a lot, they hurt me. I'm a shepherd, and I get hurt. And maybe anger will try to rise up. But, but, but I have to think, I'm always reminded of all the things I've done to God that has hurt him. Think about the things you've done that hurt him. I always say to the Lord, forgive me. I spit in your face, and you've forgiven me. And I'm grateful for that, as we all should be. 
How do you measure the love of God that stays his hand from destroying the enemies of his son who mocked him, beat him, stripped him, hung him on a cross? How I can't even consider what that love is like. They called Jesus the prince of devils. They tortured him and they put him to death in a most horrific manner and God stands there. Man. Guys, God doesn't love. God is love. And how many times in the word of God are we asked to love? This is what I consider the great commandment. Found in Matthew, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked Jesus, what is the first commandment? Man, this is, this is what it boils down to, guys. This is what God says. This is it. You ever ask God what I should do? This is it. First of all the commandments says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our, our Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one Lord in your life. Kind of blew everybody away, including me, when I said Wednesday night, if there's anything in your life you can't say no to, it's the Lord in your life. Thank God for God's mercy. Because I wonder how many of us could put our cell phones down for 24 hours and say no. Including me. That shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other correct commandments greater than these. God doesn't love. God is love. Again, God asks us to do nothing that he himself has not already done for us. If you don't comprehend the love of God by the offering of his son as his lamb from the foundation of the world, then understand this. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Da, 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 da. Love is then broken down into these other eight attributes, but it's an expression of love. Love is joy. Love is peace. Love is long-suffering. Love is gentleness. Love is goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's all expressions of love. And I got news for you. We can't love the way God loves without the fruit of the Holy Spirit operating in us. How many want to be more kind, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? You will never learn to be kind till unkind people come into your life. Smith Wigglesworth, I was just reading something about him last night. He's one of my heroes. I wonder if I'll ever grow as tough as he did. Man, he just put it, he just said it the way it was. Got so many people mad, but they got healed. He punched people in the stomach that had ulcers, and they get healed. And he said, we need to rejoice and be thankful when we get in trials. Because when you overcome the trial, that's when you get the robe. That's what he said. It says here that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have fruit trees in your yard? How dare you go out in your yard and say, I made those apples. Those apples are the fruit of the apple tree. You get the joy, you get the joy of picking them and eating them. But they blow in the apple tree. I'm glad apple trees aren't selfish. Hey, get your hand off my apples. They're my apples. 
how dare we think we can do what the Holy Spirit needs to do in and through us? Well, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. Well, I don't, need, I don't believe in that speaking in tongue stuff. Well, that's part of it, but how about the fruit of the Spirit? You know when you know you have the Holy Spirit? It's when you start doing things you never did before. When you can love like you never loved before. When you had joy like you never had before. When you had peace like you had, never had before. When you can put up with the nonsense of people like you never did before. That's the Holy Spirit operating in and through me. And we can't love the way God loves without the fruit of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 13, the, the thing that we always uh, like to read at weddings about, guys, this is the way you need to love each other. Yeah, right. Impossible without the Holy Spirit. Now I tell people, when I marry you, we make three covenants. You make a covenant with God, you make a covenant with each other, and you make a covenant with the guy that's marrying you. And let me tell you something about covenant. I tell people when I marry him, when I and those I've married in this, in this building know that. I tell them, when you make a covenant with me, understand covenant. When tribes made covenants, you didn't keep your covenant, I could hunt you down and kill you. So you better be good to each other. You better honor your covenant to God and with each other. So here we get a great description of what this love is all about in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. Now, in the King James, love is called charity, okay? Charity suffers long, is kind, charity envies not, charity vaunted not itself, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoice not in iniquity, rejoice not, but rejoice in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I wish I could read this to you in the Amplified Bible, because basically when you read it, you realize this is impossible for me. Because the Bible says, God's love, ready this? God keeps no account of wrong. Are you listening to this? Because I guarantee you, 99% of you, including me, have always thought that God has a scoreboard. And every stupid thing, every dumb thing you've said or done, whatever, God keeps score. <laughs> oh, negative, yeah. And then you go to heaven and there's this big scale, the bad versus the good. And I got news for you, it's already tilted to the bad. And thank God for, the, for Jesus, who when you stand before God, Jesus will go up on that scale and just touch it and boom, it goes to all good because of what he's done. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is a description of God's love. This is not a commandment of how by human effort we should love. This is a description of how God loves. This is love. This is God. This is the description of how God loves his love towards us. These are the characteristics of God's Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not a bird or a feather or a feeling. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit form who comes to possess you if you allow him to. Now think of the Holy Spirit, some, you know, funny thing. He's God. And yet that Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, can love through us. God is loving through me. Dear God, why do I have to wait till I'm 90 years old now I'm going to die any day that I can finally love like this? What Paul's trying to tell us is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9 through 12. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect is come, then that which is this part should be done away with. When I was a child, I speak as a child. Now a lot of people say this. 
well, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues and all the prophecy. And all. Listen, if the gifts pass away, so does the fruit. Oh, that's coming. Because when the, we're here because the Holy Spirit's preserving things. But once the Holy Spirit is removed and we go with him, wow, no love, no joy, no peace, no patience. That's all gone. Well, I don't want to be here when that happens. We see it slowly, but no, but the Holy Spirit's still here. I don't under, in other words, Paul's saying, I don't understand this. We cannot perceive this love, he says. We see it darkly. Our understanding of God's love is like a child comprehending the things of life. So Paul does his best to describe what this love is. Read in the Amplified Bible what this love is. This is the explanation of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. For the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. The way the Spirit of God loves us. Who can comprehend the love of God? God, help me to comprehend your love. To reject the lamb offered by God. God, you know, they would bring the lamb in. This poor little helpless lamb. They had it in the house for a little bit. They had to take care of it. I can imagine a little kid, Daddy, no, not fluffy. And they actually would slay the lamb in the most humane way. They'd slit its throat. And it wouldn't feel it. It would just pass out. And the blood would drain out. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. God, the same time they were offering the lambs on the altars of the temple, Jesus was being offered as the Lamb of God. Can you imagine being the priests that are in that temple offering these lambs and there's this massive curtain, 40 by 60 feet, they say, maybe three, four inches thick that made the Holy of Holies where the, only, the, only, the high priest could only go there. And he would go in there and be pitch black because it was holy. And while they're offering the lambs, the Lamb of God is slain. And the barrier that stood between man and God called sin is now eradicated. And that, that, that curtain just rips in half. Imagine you're a priest standing there. You don't think they thought something happened? You don't think a lot of these guys got saved when Peter, who gets all the credit, stands and 3,000 people get saved? I guarantee you some of those priests are out there going, oh, I'm first. No one will be eternally separated from God because they didn't have a choice. Do you realize that Jesus died not to make you his slave, but to give you freedom of choice? Every one of you, every person on this earth now has freedom of choice. When Jesus died on that cross. He said, I will, it, mankind was under domain of Satan. And now Jesus dies. He takes that authority away. And now men are free. But even the bad people, they're free to choose. To reject the lamb offered by God. To ignore the blood of the lamb. To believe that you have earned your own salvation. To what you've done in your life. Is saying that your efforts are greater than the blood of God's lamb, Jesus. I can understand the wrath of God that we pour down those that mock, ignore, reject God's lamb. Do you know that your savior, Jesus, who calls himself your brother 
still bears the marks on his head and the holes in his hands, and we'll all see him. We're all going to stand before him, and we'll see that. And a lot of people are going to finally mean what they say when they say, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. But they won't say it with vulgarity. They're going to say, oh, my, I don't believe it. The Lamb of God was sacrificed to purchase for us the freedom of choice. So no one eternally separated from God will be separated because of God or because of their choice. You weren't purchased by the blood of the Lamb become the slaves of God. You were purchased and then set free. Imagine that. Jesus paid. He died. To, he could have kept you, but he said, I'll let you free. It's like you paying the bill for somebody. And you don't let them know you paid it. Or somebody's in prison and they're, there's a, and you know they're, they're, they're not guilty. And maybe they're found not guilty, but they owed somebody thousands of dollars. And you go down to City Hall and you write out the check and say, here, I'm going to pay his debt. And you walk out and that person's set free. What in the world can they boast in? They were set free by your grace and we're set free by the grace of God. We choose to love God because he first loved us. So not only do we choose to love God by asking him to Jesus to come in our hearts by seeking him in his will, which is word, so that we may obey him, we also then show that love one to another. And let me tell you something. It's amazing how people misunderstand love. How many of you have had children? How many of you have had your kids wanted to do something wrong? And you say, well, I love them. Dad, I'm taking the car out, and they're 12 years old. And they're wrong. But I love them. Go ahead, honey, and they get killed. Listen, as a pastor, the word exhortation, which I'm supposed to do, means clarification of direction. If I love you, I'll prevent you. I hate, I said this today. I'm so tired of seeing the flock go over cliffs when you're trying to tell them, don't go that way, and they do it anyway. And then they blame God when all hell breaks loose. We have a choice to receive a Savior who loves us. God says, I set you free, but you have the choice to hear me, hear my word, and obey me or not. Every person in this room and in the world has had the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God poured out upon you. And this is what the Spirit of God said to me this week. You are not permitted to not love, if this makes sense, to not love someone I love. And I love everybody. Do you hear what I just said? That's not fair. But God says, you do not have the right not to love somebody I love. And that somebody is everybody. Sinner and saint. But love doesn't, ooh, I love you, I hate this goodbye crap, excuse me. That's not a bad word where I come from. Poop is. <laughs> I guess you have to be a parent to understand love's tough, isn't it? I've had friends that had told their kids, you can't do this, or they said, well, I want to do this, so you can't do that. But I, I believe I want to do it, you can't. And if you do, you can't live here anymore. And that's tough love, isn't it? 
You can't live here anymore because these are the rules. These are the rules. And they're easy to follow. God loves us. And sometimes you're going through stuff you don't understand because God loves you. I had to say this over and over to myself. Nothing can happen to me without God's permission. So when things happen to me, I said, you let this happen? How did God are you? I can't say that. The ability to love others can only be accomplished by allowing God's Holy Spirit to love through us. When you can't love somebody, you've got to say, Lord, help me to love that person. And sometimes that's not help me to like that person. It's like give me the guts to tell them the truth when I know they're wrong. We all hate confrontation, don't we? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, and I'm done. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these things, but the greatest of these is charity, amplified. And so faith, hope, love, abides. Faith being the conviction and belief, respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, hope, the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation and love, the true affection of God in man, growing out of God's love for us and in us, of all these is love. Love is greater than hope. Love is greater than peace because you can't love without hope and you can't love without peace. And the only way, folks, we can love is to allow God to love through us. It's called surrender. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we as individuals can learn to love the way you love. God, you're the one who allows us to go through trials because you love us. You're the one who corrects us because you love us. Help me to love like you love. Help me to see humans, people, the way you see them. And some you're grieved with and you love them anyway. Some are in sin and you love them anyway. And Lord, may I love them enough to obey you to show them the right way. I don't want to be afraid of confrontation. Father, I thank you for the privilege of shepherding this flock. And I thank you, Lord God, for the privilege that we have as individuals, the choice that you bought for us to love one another. Lord, during this Christmas season, make love so real to us. May every person in this room feel the love of God. Feel it, Lord. I pray, Lord, as the early Pentecostal pioneers prayed, Lord, help us to feel you. Not just to know about you, but come into human existence Come into our lives, touch our emotions, touch our flesh, touch our feelings, and Lord, help us to know we need you. Father, I thank you during this holiday season. We appreciate the love that you showed to us. And while we're yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. I thank you, Lord, in this church, love will be revealed by healing and deliverance and salvation change lives. That's what I pray for. Not knowledge only of the Word of God, but understanding and wisdom. And I pray, Father, in this church, your will will be done in the name of Jesus, that your love will be manifested, that the vision that you gave me almost 30 years ago to win souls, to establish your people in your truth and your Word, and I love this one, to demonstrate the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
church, coming to church will be an adventure, expectation, exciting, not, oh, I have to go to church. No, what is God going to do today in the lives of others and in my life? Father, thank you for your peace, your love, your joy, your hope, faith, all that you've given us, Lord. For all that you've asked us to do, you've already done for us. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Every head bow, every eye close.